This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Turn to Romans chapter 4 this morning. If you need a copy of the notes or something to write with, we've got ushers coming down your way right now with, uh, with a copy of the notes for today's message as well as a pen. If you need that, grab that right now. If you're seeing the message so far, you can always get caught up on our Hui Kala app. That's going to give you the ability to watch uh, and listen to previous messages. also allows you to take notes on the Hui Kala app if you want to do it that way. Uh, whatever works for you, or grab a sheet of a paper from our ushers and write this down. We're about, um, I don't know, 18 months or so into our study of the book of Romans. We're going verse by verse, and today we complete chapter 4. Uh, next week we're going to go into Romans chapter 5. What that means is we are officially 25% through the book of Romans. It only took us a year and a half, and so we're just blazing through it. Uh, Romans 5 is uh, going to be a blast, and so I hope you'll uh, settle in because we're going to be here for a while through the book of Romans. If you're a first-time guest here at Hui Kala, let me just say thanks for being with us here today. We're delighted that you worship Jesus with us. Uh, and also, the book of Romans is one of the most power-packed doctrinal books in all of the Bible. Uh, and it's, it's taken us a while to chew through it, but uh, it's such a good uh, book and it's been so helpful thus far. You find us today at the end of Romans chapter 4. Again, if you missed anything, you can always get caught up on our website uh, or through our podcast uh, that you can get on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or uh, just download the Hui Kala app. Get caught up because this is just so good. We've been working through Romans chapter 4, which basically makes the case of this. You cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven based on anything that you have done. No religious works. Uh, no trying to be a good person. The only way that you can come to God the Father and be forgiven of your sins is faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, that is further reiterated uh, even at the end of this passage. Again, just context is Paul writes to the church at Rome, which is where we get the book of Romans. He's writing to a church that he's never been to before. He's never actually visited them before, but there's a mixture of, uh, of Jewish believers and Gentile believers that are trying to navigate this space uh, that's fairly new for them called New Testament Christianity. And so he gives them some uh, guidelines and some basics for Bible doctrine. And so uh, we uh, are able to read the Romans mail because God included it for us as part of Scripture to be able to read Paul's letter to them. But as he writes to especially the Jewish believers in chapter 4, he tells them, hey, Abraham, he's the hero of the faith for the Jews for sure, but Abraham was saved the same way that anybody else was, by faith alone, not because of a religious ritual of circumcision. He was saved because he believed God's promises. And so uh, we'll take a look at that today. The title of today's message, Abraham's Faith Versus Our Faith. We're going to start in verse number 18 just for the sake of context in Romans chapter 4. Uh, we'll start in verse number 18, 21 through 25 is really where we'll spend the bulk of our time here today. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse number 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth or makes alive the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. Talking about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
We stagger not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that that which he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. As I, I try to meet new people, first of all, let me just say this. By, by nature, I'm an introvert. I'm, I, I don't like talking to people that I don't know. It makes me really nervous. It makes me anxious. I have social anxiety uh, that just, man, meeting new people can just throw me into a tailspin. And it's, but I've, I've gotten really good at kind of, I guess, what you would call coping mechanisms. Uh, the first thing that I did as a coping mechanism is I prayed. Uh, I prayed that God would give me a love for people, and I found that a lot of my uh, anxiety and awkwardness not wanting to talk to people was an un, uh, 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 un, um, uh, undue amount of love for myself and what other people thought of me, and I had to confess that I sin and ask God to change me. And so I've gotten a little bit better at talking with folks, and as I try to meet new people especially, I try to find some level of commonality that we have somewhere to try to find something that we have in common. So oftentimes I'll ask, you know, uh, hey, where are you from? Where did you grow up? You know, do you like sports? You know, what kind of uh, job do you do? And try to find some common thread that I can say, hey, uh, I can identify with that so we can at least uh, have some sort of conversation. Every now and then you find somebody who has absolutely nothing whatsoever in common with you, and it's just kind of awkward because you just stare at each other. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not good with awkward silence. Like, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable because I'm socially awkward. And I, from the South, oh, what part? I grew up in Kentucky, and so we begin to talk. My brother-in-law lives in Huntsville. He's a police officer and a firefighter in Huntsville, Alabama. And so I, I just try to make connections with people. If someone's in the military, what branch of the military are you in? Somebody, uh, you know, grew up in, in a certain part of the country. I try to find some commonality. i got friends here today from uh, California at the church that we came from in California. And so just trying to find some connection that we have. As we read through um, Romans chapter 4 here, we see that we that are the children of God have a connection with a guy by the name of Abraham. Now you say, Abraham lived thousands of years ago. What do we possibly have in common with Abraham? We have a, a ton in common with Abraham because Abraham, Romans chapter 4 tells us, is our father. He's not just the father of all Jews, which that was already a given. Romans chapter 4 tells us he's a father to all them that believe. And so if you're here today and you identify as a Christian, as a child of God, you've been born again, then you automatically have something in common with Abraham. Starting point is he's your spiritual father. And so as we take a look at this passage, we're going to look at really what uh, God said about Abraham's faith and how that correlates to our faith as well. First of all, we see in verse, despite never actually seeing evidence, verse number 21 says here uh, in this passage, first of all, and being fully persuaded that that which he had promised, he was able also to perform. If you remember, as we've been talking about Abraham in chapter number four, and, and again, we're not going to get away from this as we go throughout the rest of Romans because Abraham's going to come up again. But God spoke to Abraham in the book of Genesis, and he made a covenant or a, a promise, a commitment that he made to Abraham, we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. There were three parts of the Abrahamic covenant. Somebody help me with what they are. First one is what? Land. Second one is seed. Third one is land, seed, blessing. That's the Abrahamic covenant. So God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a land that's going to be yours, that it's going to, and I'm from that, going to create from you a seed that will be a great nation. From that great nation will all the people of the world be blessed. And Abraham believed God, the Bible says. Now, here's the crazy part about Abraham. 
Abraham never got to actually possess that land for himself. Abraham saw only the first part of his seed and the fact that his son Isaac was born, but would never see his seed that would come after that. So he never really saw the promise of the seed that he was given. The blessing that God gave that he said was upon uh, Abraham's life, he would never actually see to fruition because what would happen is through Abraham's seed, his lineage would come Jesus Christ the Messiah. From Jesus Christ the Messiah will all people of the world be able to become God's children through that and all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. But Abraham didn't see any of that actually come to fruition. That's why verse 21 again says, in being fully persuaded that that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Hey, God promised it. I might not see it in my lifetime, but I know for a fact it's going to come to pass. Notice that phrase there too, fully persuaded. You and I must also be fully persuaded of some things too if we're going to be the children of God. You and I will have to be persuaded of some things that we didn't believe before or we maybe haven't fully accepted or uh, maybe are still struggling through the, the concept of our faith. Here's the, the, the kind of the, the brass tacks of it, if you will. That if you were to boil down the entire Bible to one thought, it's this. You and I have broken God's law. We've sinned against God. We are sinners, the Bible says. Because our, of our sin, we will be judged. We will be punished by God. It's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. The day that you and I die, we'll stand before God in judgment. And the Bible says if we die in our sins, that our judgment is hell. Separation from God in a real place that burns with real fire for all of eternity. No second chances, no getting out. That's what we deserve. I deserve it because I broke God's law, and here's the consequences of breaking God's law. But here's the best news that you'll ever hear in your entire lifetime. God sent his son Jesus to die in your place. That if you would put your faith in Jesus and believe on him, you could be forgiven of all of your sin, past, present, future, forever, because of what Jesus has done. You see, I was supposed to die because of my sin, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was punished on my behalf. I was supposed to endure God's wrath, but Jesus absorbed God's wrath for me and fully satisfied a payment for my sin, that all I have to do is believe on Jesus. But here we come back to that phrase again, fully persuaded. I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I have to believe that Jesus has paid for my sin on the cross and I have to be willing to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus. And if you'd be willing to do that, you could be born again today. Every person needs to have a time, a date, a place where they were born again. Not important that you remember the exact date that it was. Not really important that you remember the exact words that were said. But Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, to a man by the name of Nicodemus, No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Nicodemus kind of scratches his head, and he was like, how, I'm an old man, am I supposed to climb into my mother's womb a second time and be born again? And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to be born once physically, but you need to be born secondly, spiritually. Just like you and I were born on a certain birth date, you and I must also be born again at a specific time. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll meet with people, and I'll say, has there been a time in your life where you've been saved? And so, well, I've kind of always been saved. No, it's kind of a point in time where you come to faith and recognize your need for Jesus and put your full faith and trust in him. Yeah, that's, man, I've done that as long as I can remember. 
No, you need to have a point in time that that happens. That would be similar to me saying, hey, when's your birthday? And you say, I don't really have a birthday. I've just kind of always been. Well, no, there had to be a time where you started to be a person. No, you know, I really can't remember a time where I wasn't around. And so I think I've just kind of always been, you know. There wasn't really a time when I was born. You know, there must be a time where you were born, but there also must be a time where you've been born again. And if you've never been saved or born again, know this, 100% of your sin is on your account. You're responsible for all of it. But the day that you come to Jesus in faith and are born again, all of the sin you've ever done in your entire life is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ as if it never happened. And so, again, you and I, speaking in legal terms, because, again, the Bible tells us that we stand guilty before God for our sin. And so God uses a lot of legal terminology in here, and he talks about the law, which is God's commandments, which we've broken. And our standing before God, because we've broken God's law, is guilty. And so we, we're deserving of the penalty that we should receive. But those of us that have put our faith in Jesus and been born again, the Bible says we are, here's a good Bible word for you, justified. That word justified means that we have been declared righteous and we're treated in God's eyes as if we have never sinned one single solitary time. The, the idea of justification, sometimes uh, people will use, uh, well, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's a really, really elementary definition of that. That's probably a preschool definition of justification. It's a lot richer than that. Justification is the idea of this, that my sin has been placed on Jesus Christ. Because my sin is on Jesus, he must be punished now. Has to be. No way around that. Because God always punishes sin. So when Jesus became sin, God had to punish him. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus went to the cross, he suffered, he bled, died, was abandoned by his heavenly father as punishment, payment, wrath for sin, mine and yours. And so I put my sin on Jesus, and Jesus takes his righteousness, his perfection, and he places it on me. We sometimes refer to this as the beautiful exchange. My sin on Jesus, Jesus' righteousness on me. That's what justification means. So you and I are declared righteous as if we've never sinned, as if we're perfect, just like Jesus was perfect. You say, wait, 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 I'm not perfect. Right. You've been given Jesus' righteousness. This is called imputed. We'll get to that in just a minute. You receive something to your account that you did not earn, that you do not deserve, but justification. Say, you've got a laundry list of the wrong things that you've done, and you're going to be judged for every single one of them. Your penalty is going to be hell, and your, your punishment will be hell based on the things that you've done. But if those of us that have been saved and born again, we've been justified by our faith in Jesus. Stay with me for a second here. When we stand before God and God pulls up our account, our account is crystal clean, totally clean slate. God can't find a record of any wrong that we've done because we've been declared righteous, justified. We're not guilty before God. We've been declared righteous. And so Abraham was justified, the Bible says, by faith. Abraham believed God's promises. Abraham had faith in what God would do. Not in what God had already done. He had faith in what God would do. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says, And all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, 
and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Romans 4.20 tells us that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And so Abraham, while we saw last week, he kind of struggled a little bit in his faith. He wavered a little bit, but he never gave up. He never quit because he believed what God had said. He hadn't seen it yet. God was going to give him a, a child that was going to bring a great nation, but like he's almost 100 years old. His wife's womb is dead, the, this passage tells us. But he believed God would do it somehow by faith. You see, faith isn't the fact that you and I have it all figured out or you and I can explain it from point A to point B. There's a lot of things about the Bible. There's a lot of things about faith that I don't fully understand or grasp, but I believe it to be so because God's word says it so. We have to have something that we plant our foot in. We have to have something that we drop anchor in, and we must drop anchor in the promises and the surety of the word of God. And so you and I... We don't have it all figured out, but we have to have faith in what God has done through Jesus Christ. Abraham didn't know what it would happen, but he knew what God had said. There's a lot of things that you and I can't see, but we have to believe them to be so because God said. If you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if there's a point in time in your life where you've been born again, and if there hasn't, today's a great opportunity to be saved. If you're like, I'm not sure if I've been saved or not, good, today's a great opportunity for you. You need to be saved. But for those of us that have, the Bible says that God has completely wiped away our sin debt by the blood of Jesus Christ. God has taken the Lamb's book of life and written your name and my name down in that so that when we go to heaven, our reservation is already held. And so God already knows when we get there, hey, welcome home, son, glad that you're here. That's already been written. But here's the crazy thing. I've never seen the Lamb's Book of Life, and you haven't either. I've never seen my sin debt and have been able to verify that it has been washed away. I don't know what it will look like when I stand before God in judgment one day. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. But I believe all of them to be so because I have faith in what God has said. That's the only way this thing works. You say, well, I need to see it first before I can believe it. That's not faith. Sometimes people would say to this, I talk to people about my faith all the time and try to invite people to put their faith in Jesus, and sometimes people will say things like this, well, well, if I could actually like talk to God like audibly, I, I would believe, and I always tell them, no, you wouldn't. No, 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 I really would. Like, if I could like sit down and have coffee with God and just ask all the questions that I got and actually see them with my own eyeballs, then I would believe. Two problems with that. First of all, it's not faith. If you can see it with your eyeballs, you don't need faith, uh, you're, you're going based on reasoning. No one can be saved by reasoning. You have to be saved by faith. The second problem with that argument is this. God already did that. God already became a man, sat down at a dinner table with people, asked questions, shared with them teachings about the kingdom, uh, taught them from the scriptures. And you know what they did with him? They crucified him. You know, so you think that you would be one of the ones who's like, oh, please, guys, don't crucify this guy. He's actually God in the flesh, and he, he told me everything that I needed to know, and so I believe him. You would be the, the exception, not the rule. No, no, no. All these people who had been waiting their entire life for the Messiah to come, when the Messiah came, they were just like, uh-uh, crucify him. Take him out of here. Be done with him. We don't want any part of it. So we often overestimate our own ability to be able to reason and, and rationalize things out. 
God wants you to come to him not because you saw him or had an opportunity to sit down at dinner with him. God wants you to believe him because he's already said who he is. Hebrews eleven six 6 says it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, him speaking of God. Not unlikely, not improbable. It's impossible to please God without faith. But get this, the, the, the last part of the verse is great as well. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That he's what? That he's exactly who he says that he is. That he is Jehovah God. That he is the I am. That, that he is the beginning and the end. That he's the Alpha and the Omega. Must believe that in Jesus Christ are all the promises of God. Yes and amen. Have to believe all those things by faith. Not because I saw it or because uh, anything other than being what verse 21 says, fully persuaded. And so are, are you fully persuaded? Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you know for sure that you're a child of God? Do you know for sure that your sin debt has been erased? And you're like, well, Pastor, you just said that there's no way to know those things. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I said. I said I've never seen those things. I know them to be true by faith because of what God has said. So please don't misunderstand when I say there's no way to really know if our sin's been wiped away or not. No, the Bible has promised. If you've put your faith in Jesus, your sin has been washed away. Is there a way for you to look at that and verify it? No, because faith doesn't need verification. You and I so many times think that, that we're like putting out a fleece before. It doesn't need to verify what he's already said. Christians should do of, of making God jump through hoops to validate what he said. He's already said what he needed to say in his word. You and I don't need to question it. We need to have faith because faith is what pleases God. And again, that verse Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and here's the beautiful part of that, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God's like, Faith pleases me so much that when you take me at my word and you really believe what I've said, like fully persuaded, I promise you to give you everything that you need for this life and the next. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And let me just tell you this. God is always good to his promises. He's never failed one single solitary time. He never will fail one solitary time. And you and I get the privilege as his children to add with that. We... We as parents take them to the fair. Bad idea, first of all. Then you drive past, you see the fair, like, oh, Dad, look, it's the fair. Yeah, yeah, we'll go this summer. And then it gets later and later, and then you realize, like, okay, at some point we're going to have to make good on this, right? Here was the idea. I told my wife, take the girls to the fair while I'm at the men and boys camp out. First of all, I don't have to go. Uh, that, that's a huge benefit to me. Secondly, I don't have to be around all the nonsense that goes on at the fair and stuff like that. So I said, just take care of that for me. And she was like, I will. And so I get back from the men and boys camp out, and I ask my girls, how's the fair? And they go, oh, we didn't get to go last night, but Mommy says you're going to take us. <laughs> Did she say that? <laughs> she said that. That's so nice of her. And so yesterday we went to the fair. Why? Because I told my girls that I would. Uh, and I, I, I did it. We had a great time. We made some really good memories. We burned through $100 in record time, uh, like 12 minutes, you know, <laughs> go back reloading the card again. It's just like, how did this happen? And my wife's like, I want a funnel cake. So I reload the card again. You know, it's just like heavens. We had a good time. I'm, I'm not begrudging that. I'm just saying, like, my kids called me out on a promise that I'd made, and I wasn't really happy to fulfill it. 
God doesn't mind being called out on his promises because they're there because he wants to fulfill them. There have been times before where, no lie, I have prayed to God and says, God, you've promised to reward me if I diligently seek you. I've done my part. I need you to do yours. You're like, oh, that's blasphemous. No, it's not. God gives you promises because he wants you to, to call him out on it. He wants to fulfill those promises. Now, be careful. You can't strong arm God into anything. And that's where, again, those that, that seek after the false gospel of prosperity believe that you can twist God's arm. God says, ask and it shall be given unto you. And if you ask and God doesn't give it, God's a liar. So if you ask for that new Lamborghini, God's got to give it to you because he promised. No, 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 no. You got to read the whole Bible in context. God doesn't give you anything that you can consume upon your own lust. That, that's just, that just doesn't work right. If you want to talk about prayer, come tonight at 5 o'clock. We'll talk about prayer tonight. Uh, but the idea is this. God delights in, in faith. Faith always pleases God. And Abraham had faith, fully persuaded. And take a look at what happened in verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So Abraham was fully persuaded by God's promise. So he was justified. Again, Abraham's sin on Jesus, Jesus' righteousness on Abraham imputed righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything to become righteous. He received the righteousness of Jesus. Now again, understand, when you and I try to be righteous, do the right thing, that's where the word righteous comes from, the word right, you and I try to be right or obey God or do the right things, that's called self-righteousness, which does nobody any good whatsoever. Uh, the Pharisees tried to be self-righteous. We'll keep the law. We'll make sure that we do obey all God's commandments, and then we'll be good. No, no, no. That just made them worse because they weren't trusting in God. They were trusting in their own flesh and what they could accomplish. Let me just tell you this. God hates self-righteousness. And so many people will die and stand before God and plead their case of self-righteousness. God, I went to church. God, I did a lot of religious things. Jesus himself even said, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so they were trying to claim self-righteousness even at judgment. And, and God said, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. It's by my righteousness that is imputed to you. You need God's righteousness in your life to be justified, but you can't get that on your own. But Abraham was fully persuaded of God's promise and he was justified. You and I must be fully persuaded by God's promise to be justified. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the, uh, the Savior of mankind, that he's the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he's the only way to heaven. You must be willing to turn from your sin and turn to Christ to be saved because you have to believe the promises of God's word. Again, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, we, are you willing to believe God's word that you need to be saved? The word repentance that we talk about, that we need to have faith and repentance to be saved. The word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind. You must believe that you've been going the wrong path and that you're willing to turn to Jesus and to agree with God is what the word repentance means. 
You can't believe like, I think I'm doing okay. I'll just add Jesus onto the top. Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You need to put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Uh, when I'm talking with people about faith, I always use Bible terms. The term saved, we get here from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Believe in your heart uh, the, the Lord Jesus and confess with thy mouth and thou shalt be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, uh, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. When I'm talking with people about my faith, I don't say, are you a Christian? I don't say, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you had a religious experience? Have you been baptized? I ask, have you been saved or have you been born again? And somebody says, I'm not really sure what that means. Good. Let me explain it to you. And I'll walk through the gospel with them. I always want to use Bible terms because um, non-Bible terms confuse people. Hey, have you invited Jesus into your heart? Uh, I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, hey, have you ever uh, prayed the sinner's prayer? Um, please point to where I can find that in Scripture because it's not there anywhere. I, I want to use Bible terms when talking with people about faith because you must put your faith in Jesus to be justified. And again, I probably won't talk with somebody who doesn't know the first thing about the Bible or about faith, about the word justification. But at some point, I need to teach them what that means. Here at Huikala, I want you to understand good Bible terms, good theological terms. I want to help you to become a discerning student of the Bible so that you know what justification means, so that you know what redemption means, so that you know what regeneration means. Not only does knowing the Bible help us to know the character of God, help us to share our faith better, help us live our faith better, but it helps us to worship better. Today we sing a song called Jesus Thank You. Man, it was so rich with so much doctrinal truth. Your blood has washed away my sin. That washing away of our sin, again, our sin debt gone, justifies us in the sight of God and declares us righteous. The Father's wrath completely satisfied is the term propitiation, which means to turn away the wrath of God. When we were once enemies, Romans chapter 5 tells us we were once the enemies of God. Now we're adopted into the family of God is the idea of adoption that comes when we're saved. So much rich truth there. We sing a song, Glorious Day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Carrying our sins far away is the idea of expiation which we can point back to at the Day of Atonement, the, the scapegoat where the sins of the people would be placed on the, the, the scapegoat and it would be sent out into the wilderness never to be seen again. Jesus took our sins as far as the east is from the west by bearing them on the cross, by being buried and rising again the third day. Rising, he justified. There's that word again. How long? Freely, forever. And now that we're saved, now that we're born again, we're waiting for the soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Man, understanding all that should make us sing a little bit louder, should cause us to focus on the goodness and grace of God a little bit more. It's not Christian karaoke. We don't have a bouncing ball that tells you what songs to sing, what words to sing. The idea is that you would be so overwhelmed in your heart of the goodness of God, the sacrifice of Jesus, that you couldn't help but like belt it out because that's so good. How great thou art. And when I think that God his son not sparing, sent him, oh, that's, uh, is that how great thou art? Yeah. Sent him to die, scarce can take it in and on the cross. Oh, yeah, how great thou art. Second verse, right? Am I right? Somebody tell us I'm right. Okay, thank you. I'm thinking I'm going crazy up here. I'm like, is that it as well? Because it as well talks about our sin too. 
And when I think that God is son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died. Why? To take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Again, knowing Bible truth, understanding Scripture helps fuel our worship, fuel our praise. And so Abraham was imputed the righteousness of Jesus by faith. We see that in verse number 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But then we see again a, a commonality that we have with Abraham is we are imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith as well. That's we see in verse number 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. There it comes again, verse 24. How do we get the righteousness of God applied to my account? You have to believe. It all comes down to faith. You cannot be saved without faith. You, I'll take it one step further. You cannot be saved without faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, and so, again, anyone who would say, well, there's multiple ways to heaven. Jesus disagrees with that. Well, you know, the, you find your way, I'll find my way, but we'll all end up the same place. Jesus disagrees with that, and I'm going to go with Jesus over what you say 100% of the time. And so, when we, we see what we've been given, we have a greater appreciation for it. Again, verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And so, God's word has been preserved to testify of God's trustworthiness and faithfulness. How do you know you can really trust God? Read the Bible. Man, it is full, chock full of the faithfulness of God again and again and again and again. And here's the beautiful thing about it. We as, let me just say this because some of you might not be aware of this. We as a Bible-believing church believe that we hold in our hands the Word of God. It's perfect from cover to cover without error. We believe that the words, the words of the Bible, not the ideas of the Bible, but the words of the Bible were breathed by God through the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That Greek word there is theonoustos. It literally means God breathed. That Paul didn't just like grab a sheet of paper and thought, I think I'll write a letter to the church at Rome today. Like, uh, what should I talk about? Let's talk about uh, justification. Yeah, I'll do that. No, no, no. Paul sat down and the Holy Spirit breathed through Paul and allowed Paul to write on behalf of God the word of God. And so we have not just Paul's letter that he sent to the church at Rome, we have the Word of God. And we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, there is no higher authority in the life of a Bible-believing Christian than the Word of God. That's it. It's the beginning and the end. It settles all arguments. The um, Southern Baptist Convention this past week had their convention in New Orleans. For those of you that don't know, our church is not a Southern Baptist church. We're not, we won't ever be as long as I'm the pastor here. Uh, because we don't really need to get together and meet about what we believe about the Bible. It's really, really clear. But uh, a motion was, came up to vote this week whether or not females could be pastors or not because the current statement of faith was a little bit ambiguous. It grieves me that we would have to take 10 seconds to, to not look at just what the Bible says. 
And again, women can't be pastors not because of what I think, but because of what the Bible says. For Timothy chapter 3, a uh, 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 pastor must be the husband of one wife. Done. Settled. And you say, well, that was just kind of a one-off. Okay, then you turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. The pastor must be a husband of one wife. That's it. Uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2 tells us that women can't teach or usurp authority over men. So it's great for ladies to teach a, a ladies' Bible study, but ladies can't speak and teach men. It's forbidden by Scripture. We don't have to get a committee together to vote on that. We don't have to uh, hear testimonies of things along those lines. And, and you might say, well, I've had a woman pastor before, and she's really influential in my life. I don't disagree that they can have influence. I disagree that it's biblical. That's all. And for us, as Bible-believing Christians, the Word of God is the highest authority. I don't care what you vote. I don't care what a majority says. I care what has God already said. And so for us as a Bible-believing church, this right here is as, as, as big as it gets, the Word of God. That's why when you come to who we call a Baptist church, 100 times out of 100, we're going to open the Bible and tell you what the Bible says. Uh, I'm not going to share with you my opinions or what I think. And if I do, I'm going to preface like, hey, guys, this is just my opinion. This is what I think, but... but Take it for what it's worth. But by and large, 99.99% of the time, here's what God has already said through his word. That's why I want for you to become a discerning Christian who knows the word of the Bible so you can grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Paul had churches, one church in particular, the church at Berea, that was pretty special. Because Acts chapter 17, verse number 11 says that the Berean church were more noble than those in the church at Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind. They loved to hear in the Bible preached and taught, but then they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Oh, that was a great Bible message. Where could we find that in the scriptures? Could you point me to a Bible verse for that? Because... They loved the Bible, but they wanted to verify that it was true. And the Bible says that was actually a really, really good thing. And let me just say this. If the reason why you believe something is because your pastor told you this, you are very susceptible to manipulation. Very susceptible. You need to believe what you believe because God's word says it. And so don't, well, my pastor said this. No, get some conviction for yourself. Quit riding my coattails. I believe what I believe because the, God's word says that I want you to do the same, but it requires you to be a discerning Christian. But the more that you dig into the word of God, not only will your worship grow, your desire for, and hunger for the things of God will grow because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But God will show you throughout his word how trustworthy and how faithful he is. Take a look at uh, Romans chapter 4 that we're in here right here, verse number 3. Paul is, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is speaking with the authority of an apostle as he writes to the church at Rome. But when he talks to them about Abraham and how Abraham wasn't saved by his circumcision or religious rituals, he was saved by his faith. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse number 3, what does he say? For what saith the scriptures? Paul's like, hey, don't take my word for it. What does the Bible say? I don't believe just because the Apostle Paul said, I mean, what does the Word of God say? Psalm 78, verse number 5, this is important for all the dads that are here, this verse is in your notes. Psalm 78, 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a new law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them of the, of, to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. I'm not sure where you're at on the family of tree when it comes to being able to trace back your Christian heritage. My parents were essentially first generation Christians and they just 
took me and my brother to church because it's the only thing they really knew what to do. And, and let me just tell you this, it brought forth good fruit from it. There are times as a, as a teenager that I was rebellious and I didn't want to go to church and I asked if I could stay home and I asked if I could go to a friend's house or go to a different church. And my parents said, no, you're going to be in church if the doors are open. I'm a beneficiary now of that as an adult man. So there's times where you might not want to bring your kids to church, bring them anyways, it's good for them. Again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If there's a kid in my house, he doesn't get the option of whether or not he feels like going to church. We're going to be in God's house worshiping God because for, for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So again, that's a decision I made. I would encourage you to come to that same conviction on your own based on the word of God because it says this. I, again, I don't know where you're at on your family tree, but maybe you're a first-generation Christian yourself. Good. You get to start a new branch of your family tree that you're going to instruct your children in the word of God so that they can instruct their children in the word of God so that the generations after them shall know and fear the Lord. That's what Psalm 78 is saying right here. And, and so that's your little Father's Day nugget in there for you guys. But again... What is, why, does, why does God want them to know the word of God? Because he wants them to have faith in him that he's trustworthy. Again, we, we, can, we can look back at Abraham's promise that God made him that Abraham never saw. Land, seed, blessing. We see all three of those got fulfilled later on that Abraham would never get a chance to see. You and I are blessed in the person of Jesus Christ. That was a promise that was made to Abraham thousands of years ago. So God's preserved his word and again, we don't have time to talk about scriptural preservation, that people want to, again, cast doubt on the Bible, whether or not the Bible is reliable. God has pres- promised, promised to preserve his word to every generation. If at any point God's word gets lost, gets corrupted, or we can't trust it any longer, God failed on his promise to preserve his word. And if God failed, then God's not worthy of our faith anyhow. So you say, well, that sounds like a house of cards. It's all built upon the Bible. No, no, no. It's built on the sure foundation of the Bible. And it's a strong foundation. And so, again, we can trust it. Again, we talked about last week, the Bible's a durable book. It can stand up to scrutiny. But the Bible's been preserved to testify of God's desire to redeem and care for his people. Again, read through every single solitary hero of the faith. Abraham. Staggered not at the promise of God. Yeah, but he had sex with his wife's handmaid and tried to have a kid because he was tired of waiting on God or thought that God needed a little bit of help from him. But God forgave it, and then he went on to be one of the heroes of the faith. Why? Because God wanted you to have a testimony of redemption. David sinned against God and his family with Bathsheba, had a child out of wedlock, had her husband killed, basically splits his family and fractures it in a million different ways. His own children, he doesn't lead them well. He allows one of his daughters to be sexually assaulted by a half-brother and does nothing to take care of it, then causes one of his own sons to turn against him. We find David hiding in a cave because his own son's trying to kill him. Let's talk about a guy who messed it up. David messed it up on a colossal scale. But David repented before God. He got his heart right with God. And God called David a man after God's own heart. 
God, when he remembers David, he doesn't remember David's sin. He remembers David's faith and his righteousness. David becomes the gold standard of a good king in Israel so that every king after him would be able to be said, he walked not in the ways of his father David, or he walked in the ways of his father David because David was the gold standard for what was right. Sounds a little bit of a spotty past. Yeah, that's God's plan of redemption. You take a look at the Apostle Paul. Why are those things there? For the redemption story to show you, regardless of how badly you've tried to mess your own life up, God can redeem it and bring something good from it. And he wants to. Oh, you don't know my story. Have you killed your lover's husband? If not, there's still hope for you. Have you fathered a child out of wedlock trying to get God's promises and now your wife's mad at you? If you've done that, guess what? There's still hope for you. Have you killed Christians, had Christians thrown in jail, hated the church, spoken blasphemy against God? If you have, there's still hope for you. You Okay, mine's not that bad. Then what's the problem? The scripture is given us to show us God's plan of redemption for examples that they're written for us. Um, finally, we see in this passage here, our salvation is found completely in the finished work of Christ on the cross and his bodily resurrection from the grave. This is the gospel. Verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The gospel is the key component to everything that we do. It's, it's why we're here. If I were to sum up the gospel in one sentence, I would say it this way. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind, offering salvation who all would come in faith and repentance. I know it's kind of a run-on sentence. If you want to split up into two sentences, that's the gospel. It's a nutshell. That's what we do. That's why we do what we do. If you were to cut the gospel out of the Bible, if you were to cut the book of Romans out of the Bible... There's not really any power left in the Bible without the gospel. Because in Genesis, we see the creation account of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present at creation. We see the fall of man and the redemption plan of God kicks in in immediately in the Garden of Eden. And then we go all the way to the the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth, and it's the story of Jesus Christ. So you take the gospel out of the Bible, you get nothing left. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew also to the Greek. Take the gospel out, you got no power. So, so get this. If we take a church and we remove the gospel from the church, there's no power left in the church. Like at all. Like what do we talk about if we're not talking about our sin? Oh, some of you struggle with anger. You need to count to ten before you say things. You need to be really focused on the hearer and put yourself in their shoes. And you can't really know until you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And think about how garbage. You need to change your heart. You're a sinner. That's why you say foul things that come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So you need a new heart. How do you get a new heart? You get a new heart by allowing the regeneration process of salvation to change you from the inside out. Now you have the Holy Spirit walking inside of you. Now you have access to love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's what we get when we get the gospel. And so the gospel has to be at the center of everything that we do. We can't take that out because when we do, we lose the power of God. If you're ever in a church that's not preaching the gospel, you have to ask yourself the question, how does someone get saved? 
Father's Day uh, 2019, my wife and I were um, in London uh, on a, our anniversary trip, and we were uh, having a blast. We went to church on Sunday, because that's what we do. Even when we're on vacation, we go to church on Sunday. We went to a church that uh, had a uh, orthodox statement of faith on their website, let's put it that way, and we go, and, and we're listening to the message, and uh, it's a guy, uh, from, it was so weird, we're in London, and we go to a church, and the guy is from, like, New Jersey or something like that, his preaching, it's just like, this is so weird, uh, and so... Uh, anyways, he, he's preaching, he's, he, he, and again, it was a lot of like montages and, and feel-good videos that they were showing and stuff like that, and he gets down to the, the nuts and bolts of it, and he says, you know, the Bible says we can call out to God, Abba, Father, and I was like, oh, here it goes, here it goes, I mean, like, it's Father's Day, we can cry out, Abba, Father, and, and like, in my mind, how can we do that? We do that by the spirit of adoption, which is given us through, through Jesus Christ, like, this guy's like teeing up the gospel, he's getting ready to knock it out of the park, right? Uh, and so he says, you know, we can cry out to God. He's our father. You didn't have a father. You can have a father through God. So, and then the band starts playing their music behind it. I was just like, oh, no. I, I see where this is going. Like stop, like, stop the music. Like, this is the good part. And he's like, and you can cry out, Abba, Father, you know why? Because God loves you. And like the band erupts and starts playing. I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> that's not the gospel. That was the beginning of the gospel. That was the gospel. And I left there, no lie, heartbroken. Because there's, I mean, like 2,000 people in this, in this theater crammed in there tight. And it was so close to the gospel, but just totally like swinging a miss. And it's just like, oh, man. When we leave the gospel behind, we leave the power of the gospel. And you and I have access to the Father because we've been adopted into the family by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not a child of God. The Bible calls you, calls you an enemy of God. And so it's a, never forget that Jesus was delivered up, taken into custody, and put to death for our offenses. It was your fault and mine that Jesus had to die. He died for our sins. We don't have time to take a look at it, but Isaiah chapter 53 is such a rich passage of Scripture. It's a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. And the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, again, garbage, false teaching that's devoid of the true gospel would say that the stripes that we're healed by are our own. You and I wouldn't get a cold. That's the most weak. Jesus didn't die for our physical ailments. He died for our spiritual healing. My number one problem is not that my back hurts or that my knees ache when I'm walking up a flight of stairs. My number one problem is that I have offended a holy God and stand in danger of God's eternal judgment in a place called hell. Like, wrath is my number one problem. Like, I can take Motrin for my knees. Jesus was offered up for our sins. Man, we need to remember that when we sing songs about this, the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Again, a, a good understanding of what God has done for you will give you a greater appreciation and a greater spirit of worship. It's not faith that merits salvation, but faith accepts salvation from God's gracious hand. 
you need to understand this differentiation because so many times people say, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just semantics. It's not. You and I don't go to heaven because God saw our faith and go, oh, that faith is good enough. I guess I'll let we stand up our, our pocket. You and I bow before an almighty God in contrition and brokenness for our sin. And we feebly reach up by faith to receive the gift of grace that he's given us of eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't ever think for a split second you've earned anything remotely close to heaven. Just remember who you are. I remember that while God declares me righteous, I am so far from righteous, it's not even funny. While God declares me righteous, I am not deserving of the gift that he gives. That's why I'm so thankful for grace. And so we just need to remember, just like Abraham, Abraham, God didn't look at him and go, oh, Abraham, you're crushing it, man. I'm going to let you into heaven. I'm going to forgive your sins. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Abraham received God's gift by faith, by grace of what God was offering. Martin Luther had a, a great quote that I came across several years ago. Christ's death is the death of sin, and his resurrection is the raising up of righteousness. For by his death, Christ has atoned for our sins, and through his resurrection, he has procured for us righteousness. Christ's death does not merely signify, but has effected the remission of our sins. Christ's resurrection is not merely the pledge of our righteousness, but also its cause. Hey, Jesus' death wasn't just a picture of our sin being put to death. It was our sin being put to death. Jesus being resurrected from the grave, his resurrection wasn't just like, oh, it's a picture of you and I being forgiven. No, no, it's the way that you and I are forgiven. The Bible says if Christ be not risen, we're still in our sins. You can't get around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest event in all of human history. It's why we're here this morning because of the gospel. But let me ask you this, and we're done. Have you been fully persuaded? Has there been a time, a date, a place in your life where you fully put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and said, I recognize where I stand before God. I realize that I need a Savior, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. Have you had that? If not, today's your opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. It's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist or being baptized or um, attending a class. It's about knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. Many of you in this room, I know your story of how you came to faith and, and got saved. Do you still have that fire, that excitement for the things of God? Do you still recognize what you deserve versus what you've received? I hope that you do. You know, it's easy to look at God like Abraham and go, oh, Abraham deserved God's judgment, but man, God was good to him. Oh, you're missing the boat. You need to look and say, just like God was good to Abraham, God's been good to me. Just like Abraham deserved God's wrath, I deserve God's wrath. Just as Abraham was declared righteous, I also have been declared righteous. And you want to find something in common? We've got a lot in common with Abraham for sure. Because Abraham believed God. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.